the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. And glad to be alive on this Monday edition of Lifeline and glad to be with you as well. Um, Gorgeous day, I might say. Wonderful weather. Um, Privileged as we are again to to, uh, enjoy the vitamin D, enjoy uh, the sunshine, enjoy being part of the inheritance of Californians that has such auspicious weather in our life. I trust that you are doing well. I hope that you are uh, well rested over the weekend and that you had a wonderful celebratory time in worshiping the true and living God through his son, Jesus Christ, and that you are ready to have some post-festive uh, hors d'oeuvres, if you will, spiritually speaking, around topics that help us get at least into the middle of the week. Always love Mondays, always love the opportunity to get with you and talk about things that matter. Some afterburners, some afterthoughts, some, uh, again, post-worship uh, um, sustenance. And I trust that that will be the case today. You're listening to the Monday edition of Lifeline. Your host, Jesse Gistin, in the house. Very happy to be with you again. I love this weather, and I am one of those kind of persons that when the weather is right, when it's good, um, I feel good. And I uh, like to like to express that in terms of a jubilant, uh, optimistic, um, forward and uh, assertive uh, sort of character and attitude. I like high energy when that uh, is taking place and I am uh, at my best. Um, so, yeah, the number is one triple eight three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I have been thinking for the last couple of weeks about a very, very important issue that um, exists in the Church of the Living God. It actually exists in the world as well. And I was triggered upon this thought this morning as I was working on a couple of outlines for our Sunday sermons forthcoming, as well as my teaching on Friday nights. I have the privilege of teaching minimally twice a week, if not three to four times a week, um, hither and yon in some context or another. And so I'm always putting together outlines in preparation for the forthcoming assignment. And a lot of times I will come upon a topic, an issue, um, and I think and I trust being guided by God's spirit to address prophetically the needs of his church and assembly uh, topics that I will have to sort of sit on for a while and pray about and meditate upon and do some personal exegetical work around it. You know, some historical analysis, some some grammatical analysis and certainly uh ascertain the theological implications of the topic and its application to you and me. And I have I brought this up before, but I'm going to bring it up again because right now I am revolving around a couple of things relative to what I think is needed for the body of Christ in general and more particularly for Grace Bible Church in Hayward being a part of the larger universal body of uh, the son of the living God. We've been talking about finishing well, how important it is for the believer to finish well, not only finish well in terms of our life. And that is the ultimate crowning, if you will, uh, work that a believer is called to. We want to finish in such a way that when we breathe our last breath and we depart from this world, As the Bible says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The body goes into the ground. The spirit goes back to God who gave it. And we are immediately dispatched into into the presence of the king of glory if we are his. However, the question does remain. 
how well do the people of God finish? How well does a believer finish, a, a man or a woman or a young person, old person, because uh, I'm recognizing as I am doing more funerals that uh, age is not really an issue these days with regards to who leaves this life. Young people are leaving as well as older people, no doubt about it. And And my thought is, are we prepared to leave this world with a consistent and well worked through intentionally driven witness and testimony of the grace of God in our life? Or are we, are we careless about that? Um, I, I guess I could actually be talking to some extent about eschatological thoughts, not eschatology in the sense of the major four views that dominate the conversation of Christianity, but simply the biblical concept that there is an end to this age of grace and we will meet uh, the Lord Jesus and every one of us shall stand before him and give an account of the things that we've done in his body, whether it be good or bad. Um, and, and I often think about are, are the people of God living a life in preparation for facing Jesus Christ, facing the true and the living God, through his son, Jesus Christ, whom he had appointed to be the judge on that great day. He's affirmed it by raising him from the dead. He is the judge of the living and the dead. His name is Jesus. We all shall meet him. And I'm, I'm asking the question because I want to kind of think about how if we don't have a right view of our eschatological demise or our eschatological uh, honor, because if we die in Christ, we will be honored. If we don't die in Christ, it will be a dismal death. Blessed are the dead that die in the Lord, saith the Spirit of God, from henceforth, and their works will follow them. That being the case, here's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about how we are all dogged every day, dogged by our works. You and I are dogged by our works. And, and we all, whether we want to admit it or not, have works. We have works. Whether they are good or bad, we all have work too. If you and I are slothful and lazy and given to indolence and, and careless about the things of God, well, those are works too. They are. And they will be accountable for on our part uh, in the great day of judgment. There's no doubt about that. Um, if you and I are diligent and we and we really do live with a larger worldview that this this uh, space-time continuum that we know, which happens to be in between grace and glory, is really for us to make sure that we redeem the time because the days are evil and that we are giving ourselves to the cause of the gospel with all of the energy and, and vitality and vigor. And here's the word that I've been using with our men in our men's study late, lately, zeal, zeal. A couple of weeks ago, I was teaching our men on Saturday nights. We believe it's a great time for men to prepare for Sunday morning, and that is to be uh, in a huddle with brethren uh, from about 7 to about 9, sometimes 7.30 to about 9.30, depending on how well the Spirit of God is moving. And uh, to have our minds, uh, as it were, calibrated, recalibrated and focused upon biblical truth so that our affections are already predisposed for the following day, if you know what I mean. How difficult it is to really enter into a vital, deep, profound, experiential worship of the true and the living God, even in some of our best churches where sound expository preaching is taking place. Uh, authentic and genuine worship is the uh, forerunner of that sound expository preaching and then a celebratory, celebratory amen on the part of the whole congregation as a consequence uh, of uh, God speaking to us through his word. But if we have not primed the pump on Saturday night, I can tell you that there are many in the audience, no matter how prepared the preacher was the week before, no matter how important everything came uh, together in terms of worship and praise and prayer and, 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 and singing and proclamation and then the ultimate doxology and closing worship, if that's what you do. It was to no avail if our hearts weren't prepared the night before. I'm sure you know this. You can't run in to church on Sunday morning after clubbing all night long. And clubbing is euphemistic. It doesn't have to mean that you were literally, literally there, but you could have been in, in such a vain mind of state 
that the residue of that vein mine of state could be with you even as you are driving up in the parking lot, even as you are sitting down in your normal seat, even as you are preparing to open your Bible or a hymn book or um, or, or the bulletin with the worship lyrics and the commentaries and all of the business of the church going on, your hair could be all jacked up. Speaking of jacked up heads on the part of the people of God. I want to now segue into from how important it is for us to be zealous about these things to what I know happens to be a real big problem in our churches, particularly Western churches, American churches, Canadian churches, European churches. And that is the absence of biblical leadership, biblical male leadership, biblical visible male leadership in the church. It's kind of the topic I want to talk about, and I'm going to actually uh, use this as a premise to go into a major problem uh, that is actually impeding the men of the church. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, these words, a wonderful, wonderful uh, observation of um, how the church should be praying uh, to the true and the living God uh, uh, for the peace of all men so that the gospel might spread. He says over in verse uh, 4, who will, that is God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. Now here is his imperative. Here's the command. Here is what Paul says should take place in local churches. I will, therefore, that men... And this Greek term is not your general anthropos. It is male, gendered specific. I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, not some places, everywhere. Now watch this. Lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now, several years ago when I was working through... Uh, a, a series on expository preaching, and I use Nehemiah chapter 8 as a foundation to it. As you guys know, that that very common text on how not Nehemiah was part of a revival that started with Daniel, made his way through Ezra, and then ultimately to Nehemiah, and how he stood on a pulpit of wood and opened up the scriptures and began to declare the scriptures, and the Levites expounded the scriptures, and the people's heart broke, and revival broke out. This is our paradigm for expository preaching. Some of y'all know this, particularly you preachers. I quickly glanced over at Paul, who is my uh, you know patron saint for uh, for church leadership, and I heard an echo in my ear, and the apostle by the Spirit said, "In a healthy, vital local church, the men will be visible in their leadership, and no one can miss them." The men will be visible in the leadership and no one can miss them. In other words, you don't go into a healthy, vital, vibrant local gospel church where Christ is exalted, loved and obeyed and find the men hidden. But I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that's a problem in our present day. That biblical men are absent in the church, not from the church, but in the church. Biblical men are absent and not visible in our local churches. So I I, I want to pose some, uh, some, some words of exhortation, some instructions to you as I get ready to go to my main point, because I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to read an article after the break, but I'm going to tell you why before the break, why it is that when you will go to most, not all, but many, and, and I mean many local churches that you will find uh, nary a church where the men are dominantly present and visible in positions of leadership. That is, I'm talking about strategically throughout the congregation, whether it is uh, part of the main consistory of elders and deacons um, or uh, among the usher board or among greeters or among those who are guiding and, and instructing people in the ways of your local sanctuary. That is to say, when men and women come into a local church to visit, they should spot men everywhere, post it, 
demonstrating visible leadership. And it should it should emerge as an absolute fact at one poignant event. Do you know what that is? Prayer. The moment the congregation goes into prayer, all the men in the church are raising their hands in obedience to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. All the men are raising their hands. Not your women, your men. Your men. Then now, Pastor Jesse, here you go again with that male chauvinist thing. No, I'm just telling you what the text is. You deal with it. I don't have a problem with our women raising their hands. I have a problem with our men not raising their hands. You women can raise them or not. I could care less about that. I care about the men being visible, present, on the spot, instant, like Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 to Timothy, be instant, be ready, be right there on the spot. The moment we enter into prayer so that we can, we can bust the throne room of heaven open, all the men's hands are up. And calling on the true and the living God to bless that local church filled with men, women, and children, and families, and singles, and young, and middle age, and old age, and adults. And the whole congregation gets a sense of relative security because the men are present and biblical in their visible leadership in the church. And it is remarkably evident in prayer. So, here is uh, some, some, some observations. First, pray for your men to become real men and therefore leaders. Pray for your men to become real men and therefore leaders. Secondly, encourage them to overcome the secret practice that keeps them from leadership positions visibly or invisibly. Encourage them to overcome the secret practice that keeps them from leadership visibly or invisibly. And that secret practice is what we're going to talk about when we come back from the break. And what it is, is internet porn. It makes the soul small. And a small soul cannot speak effectively for God. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. We're going to kind of press into some analysis around why men shrink away from being bold and confident and assertive for Christ in a visible public way. one 367 one This is our topic to, for this hour. So if you're not calling about that, you might as well hang up. one 367 The Monday edition of Lifeline. Don't touch that dial. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we're back at the time, 525. I opened up with my um, monologue on the subject of male leadership in our churches. I know it's not a popular, popular subject, and largely because our churches are really succumbing to a kind of secular uh, standards and government of uh, existence. Uh, popularism and um, contemporarity dominate a lot of our churches. There's no doubt about that. I uh, having some time uh, off uh, rather frequently over the course of the last couple of years and freak visiting churches here and there. I've been very much amazed at the lack of uh, um, biblical governance, just to be frank with you. Uh, it, it makes you really wonder, do people take the word of God seriously in the area of uh, uh, biblical leadership and, 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 uh, and its wisdom, if you will? But but more to the point, what I, I was saying in the opening uh, monologue was that uh, there is a problem in our churches, much like there was in the days of the judges, where God in his exception rule, which he does from time to time, let Sister Deborah rule. And in her song of praise, after having obtained the victory through Barak and through Jael, another valiant sister of the of the faith in the book of Judges, she wrote in one of her songs how that she recognized that there were no inhabitants in the streets and that the uh, that the gates were empty. And that was due to the idolatry of the people of Israel. And therefore, the outcome was a scattering of the men. 
In other words, what Deborah had stated was the cause for which God moved her and Barak and Jael to fight against Sisera was the fact that male leadership had altogether abandoned the gate. Now, the gate is the place where you rule, adjudicate matters, and deal with problems of the citizenry. But if no men are in the gate, then not only are godly men not there, but wicked men can come in and wicked women. The people of God lose out on uh, the the benefits of security and lose out on the benefits of guidance and lose out on the benefits of wisdom. And, and such was the case then. And I think in many ways, such is the case now, if not physically, certainly spiritually. And I, I came across an article and I definitely want to read it and get I want to have a conversation with you, my sisters and brothers, around one of the big secret, secret practices, the big I don't know what color elephant we want to call this one, and that is Internet porn. Uh, Now, whenever I talk about this subject in general with people, particularly men, there is a great deal of honesty uh, with regards to it. It's, It's almost like the men know that it's going on and has been going on for many, many decades. It's almost like Pastor Jesse, you know, this is not new. You know, why are you? Well, it's new to me in a lot of ways because uh, by the grace of God, I don't frequent that path. That's just never have been a temptation for me. Um, I, I could go into why, but long, long ago when Internet started moving into the world and I was just learning how to, to even navigate myself around computers, these pop-up things would come up, if y'all know what I'm talking about. And these weird, bizarre pop-ups would uh, have these images that if you, if, you, if you tapped into it, you were immediately catapulted into a world of darkness. And I recall early on in my uh, ministry life where one or two occasions that occurred for me, and I found myself sliding down this abyss of perversion, and I remember distinctly how painful it was on my soul. And God gave me grace to to negotiate the pop-ups, just gave me a kind of fortitude not to go down those paths. And so it never, ever became a problem for me. I mean, never, ever became a problem for me. But here recently, over the last maybe 10 or 12 years or so, I, I, I see the emergence of an absolute devastation of men in general around the secret life and practice of Internet porn. It has affected folks in politics. It has affected folks in business. It has affected folks in education. It has affected folks in sports. And now it's affecting folks in the church, of which all of these former entities I spoke about, they're all folks that go to church. Now, can you imagine men being trapped by that Leviathan? And overpowered mentally and emotionally and psychologically and obviously physiologically, how inept they are going to be when it comes to leadership in the church. I was speaking to a new minister, um, not a young person, but a new and upcoming minister, about his concern for the men of his small congregation. He just started a work about 10 years ago and is struggling to grow. And uh, he was telling me that the men were more willing to let the women run the church and that they would, you know, just kind of work behind the scenes. They would come and maybe support a little financially, but they would not serve. They were willing to be in the background, but not visible leaders, as 1 Timothy 2.8 puts it. Now, I know that a major part of their absence is the reason for which you and I are talking now, and that is they're trapped in their heart by bad practices that does not allow them to stand up and visibly show their male calling, their male stance, their male role. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you didn't know it, when the Bible actually makes a distinction between male and female, and it does from Genesis to Revelation, it calls a man to be three things characteristically. First, a provider. First, a provider. That's why Adam had a job before he got a wife. Hint, hint. Secondly, he was a warrior, a warrior. The, 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 the Hebrew term for man is warrior. He was a man's man. He was a warrior. In other words, he knew after the fall that the life of providing would require him to be a soldier as well. He will have to not only provide but protect. 
And then thirdly, he was a bridegroomsman. That is one given to the propagation of children. He would therefore be a father. He is first a provider. He is a warrior. And then he is a father. Real men, ladies, are not your girlfriends or even your therapist. They are at best your best friend in the important matters of life. So, so what am I, what I'm saying as we prepare to go into an article I want to read before we really get into the conversation, unless you guys are running from the topic, but here, listen to me carefully. This topic is so germane, so central, so ubiquitous, so pervasive. Ladies, we're talking about your sons. Ladies, we're talking about your husbands. Ladies, we're talking about your brothers. Fathers, we're talking about your sons. If if we're not talking about you, we're talking about them. And does that matter to you now? So uh, what I want to say is we need to be uh, in prayer uh, targeting this Leviathan, this 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 gargantuan problem that that I have come to believe right along with other men. I'm going to read an article by by John Piper, at least some commentary by John Piper on what he has noted over his almost 50 years of ministry with the massive problem of Internet porn or pornography in general. Here's an article by one Greg Hanley, and he he fundamentally fleshes out the issue in the area of missions. He says that missions have suffered uh, because those who were in the mission field have been sidelined by porn. You can imagine it, right? Your young missionaries, your young, uh, you know, uh, uh, millennial missionaries, your young, you know, Gen X missionaries, your your young uh, postmodernists, your young uh, uh, relativist missionary, your young naive missionary on the field. Nevertheless, with his computer. Do you see it? Sure you do. I quote, this is what uh, Greg says. I just knew the minute we made contact, whether on the phone or in person, I could sense what had happened the night before. He's describing a missionary who had to step down from his post. Pornography, pornography again, he says. His tone of voice, his sunken spirit, his inward bent told me the story, the sad story. This brother had prayed, raised support, and finally made it to bring the gospel to the unreached with us. Here he was six months in on the front lines, only to be sidelined by porn. It saddened me for him, but as I looked out at the people on the streets, it also saddened me for them. Lust had crippled his passion for the lost. Lust had crippled his passion for the lost. Going to take a break. Going to pay some bills. The number is one 367 You're going to want to be ready to talk about it. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. We are talking about the secret elephant in the room called Internet porn. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. So getting back to our commentary on the topic for today, and that is Internet porn and its impact on the local church and its impact largely on men. Uh, the article will go on to plainly say that this is not just a male problem, but it is it is significantly a male problem. I will go on to quote pornography isn't just an affront for or to a holy God. Here's what the author says. Listen carefully to this. Not only does he say lusts had crippled this young missionary's passion for the loss. I'm going to talk about that impact on a lack of zeal for evangelism in a moment. Pornography isn't just an affront to a holy God. It's an oil leak in the engine of missions. If unaddressed, an engine with an oil leak will watch this drip by drip cease to operate and dose by dose porn renders a heart unfit for missions. Amen. Just last week, he said, I was asked twice why I think so many godly ladies are signing up to engage unreached people while the men seem to be content on the sidelines. And my answer, uh, the author says is pornography, internet pornography. I agree with it. 
I had to think about this. I've been thinking about this for about a month now, the connection between a lethargy and coldness and indifference on the part of my brethren going out witnessing and uh, and uh, and their secret idol. Now, I, I, I am recalling why the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. That which has been is and that which is even that uh, is, has already been so that there's nothing new under the sun. Do you guys remember Bell P.O.R. talked about this on Sunday, uh, the strategic attempt on the part of Balak through Balaam to cause Israel to stumble and not cross over into the promised land and realize their sonship by providing whores for them? Bell P.O.R. and their sleeping with these harlots brought the judgment of God upon them by the tens of thousands. You guys remember that? You should, because that's what we're talking about when it comes to internet porn being the Bell Peor of our day, by which and literally Bell Peor means God of the opening, Lord of the opening. And it has a very serious sexual connotation, as well as the connotation of massive liberalism. Uh, in contradistinction to, if you will, the straight and narrow way, which has a straight and narrow path and a gate that is hard to find, let alone enter into, and few be, there be that find it. But the wide broad of Bill Peor has everything to do with the uh, contemporary gods of this world so crippling the hearts and minds of the people of God or professed people of God and certainly men to where we are like we were in the days of the book of Judges. He goes on to say this. I know the statistics show pornography isn't merely a male problem, but I've also worked among young men enough to know this problem has reached academic proportions. Years ago, John Piper coined a paradigm shifting statement about missions in the let the nations be glad missions exist because worship doesn't missions exist because worship doesn't among young Christian men who don't show concern for the nations, I've come to wonder if it could be said that porn lurks where missions doesn't. Can you see what he's getting at? He's getting at the idea that it is very possible that one of the reasons we don't see male leadership in the church and one of the reasons we don't see strong male presence in the church, period, period, is because male persons, men, are trapped by this idolatrous secret by which they do not have the capacity of heart to be uh, confidently looked upon as someone that can be uh, admired, uh, someone that can be trusted, someone that can be uh, respected, someone that can be uh, inquired of in terms of uh, guidance, instruction, exhortation, warning, admonition, like a father should be. Are you guys tracking with me so far? So what John Piper has to say about it is this. John Piper said that missions exist because worship doesn't. I fear it could also be said that porn lurks where missions doesn't. Here's my plea to porn strugglers, not merely for your sake, but for theirs. For the unreached nations of the world, get help. Pornography sidelines you when the nations need you. I want to help you realize the soul conditioning effect of pornography, soul conditioning effect of pornography, soul conditioning effect of pornography in a way you may not have seen it before, particularly as it relates to missions. I aim for this brief article to be a healing wound that sets a new trajectory in your pursuit of purity. Porn conditions your soul in three ways, each of which can be overcome, but nevertheless, They have this horrible impact upon the man or men or boys or even women that's trapped by porn. The first thing that John Piper says is it shrinks the soul. Porn shrinks the soul's desire for godly things. Going to that website function, going to that website functions like a trip to the gym Porn shapes your soul like a seasoned trainer pressing it into its desired mold. The drive of pornography is lust, but the drive of missions is love. Lust turns need inward and chooses porn as its twisted solution. But love turns the soul outward and gives of itself to meet the real need. 
pornography shrinks the soul's ambition to privatize self-indulgence at another's expense. Missions expands the soul's ambition to embrace self-sacrifice for another's good. Thus, porn, in a unique way, deconditions us for missions. I'm going to read it again, and then I'm going to take a break, and then I'll continue the article, and we'll be able to take this up after I continue exhorting you around a major problem as to why men are absent in the church. Pornography shrinks the soul's ambition to privatize self-indulgence at another's expense. You see what he's saying? You go inside and then you go away so that you can gratify at somebody else's expense, and that is lost souls. Missions expands the soul's ambition to embrace self-sacrifice for another's good. Thus, porn in a unique way deconditions us for missions. In other words, I don't want to tell nobody about Jesus. Because my heart is filthy. And, you know, let somebody else do it. You're listening to the Monday edition of Lifeline. I've got more. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we're back the time, 549. I'm reading an article by John Piper as he is addressing and addressed this a number of years ago, a couple, two or three years ago, on the topic of why uh, male leadership suffers, why um, zeal for evangelism suffers, why um, men are not more given to a, a, a visible example of zeal and passion for the loss for Christ. And for me, it would even be a matter of zeal and passion for the church of the living God in terms of the clear, robust uh, sort of tokens of of God's uh, will and purpose and decree that men everywhere would lift up holy hands. Now, how are your hands going to be holy when you're tapping on that Internet and going down those those labyrinths of uh, sexual perversion? They can't because the hands represent the heart. Lifting up the hands of our heart, as David said in the Psalms, and if we are if we are not right. And we are lifting up our hands. We are bold hypocrites in the face of the true and the living God, unless we are lifting up our hands in open confession of our disobedience for going down that path. But listen to what Mr. Piper goes on to say. Porn deconditions us for missions. It sidelines us when the nations need us. I hadn't seen this deconditioning effect of pornography until I had heard the story of one newly married couple. They were excited to finally have had that coveted green light from God to engage in physical intimacy. Three months into the marriage, however, the man became disinterested. He couldn't engage in real intimacy because he had trained his body, including his mind, I quote, to enjoy fake substitutes. His soul and body had been conditioned to prefer the screen over the real thing. Now, is this is this um, something, uh, ladies and gentlemen, in my audience that you um, resonate with, that that you know about, that you're experienced with? And again, I want you only calling if you're experienced in this, because I don't want to waste the lines on um, on something else. You can we can talk about something else later. I want to discuss this matter. How close to home is this for you? How close to home is internet porn for you, mom, for you, dad, for you, son, for you, daughter, for you, married couple, for you, pastor, elder, deacon, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. How 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 close to home is this particular diagnosis uh, in your intimation when it comes to uh, what is clearly a requisite for leadership in the church, whether official or not? And that is a walk with God of of consecration of heart, mind, and soul. You and I cannot wallow in the mire of sexual, secular and sexual perversion and then stand to represent God in any capacity whatsoever in the house of the true and the living God. That, that's not going to work. So what to what degree is this topic resonating with you? one 367 5329 Want to hear from you? He goes on to say, even though the fake substitute has the capacity to mitigate the natural drives of the soul and the body towards intimacy with the wife, grace is stronger. Jesus frees the captive soul and expands narrower borders of self-love. Grace instructs us to deny 
ungodliness and worldly lust, or godlessness and worldly lust, and reshapes us into a people eager to do good works. You can see this expansive dynamic in Paul's use of the word obligated in Romans. Uh, in Romans, his obligation was to the nations, not to the narrow demands of the flesh. He was obligated to the world, obligated to lost sinners, and you and I, obligated to our children, obligated to our spouses, obligated to our brothers and sisters in Christ, obligated to the, to the witness of the church of the living God, which is supposed to be being washed and sanctified and cleanse so that ultimately we are without spot and blemish. He goes on to say, but God's spirit, Christian, Christian, you share the same obligation. Your flesh has lost its claims on you. If you feel defeated by this sin, remember the resurrection. The risen Jesus has made you a sin slayer by the spirit of God. So go on the offensive. Strike this sin at its first move over and over and over with the promises of God and promises of God. Don't give it a second to regather itself. Say no to the next temptation and the next and the next until God's grace comes in your life and you have defeated that spirit and perversion called internet porn. One eternally significant yes for the nations could be unleashed through one no to forbidden nudity. That is good. That is good. He's got two more observations, and I want to share them, and the phone lines are lighting up, and then we can talk about it. Not only does he say uh, Internet porn will shrink the soul of his desire, he says Internet porn is a soul-constructing gratification. Listen to it. A pornographic transaction yields immediate gratification. You and I know the dynamics. If you don't know the biological impact of that kind of sin, you better hurry up and find out. Because addiction is merely the biological impact of sinful behavior physiologically. And it's as powerful as cocaine and methamphetamines. And you know what I'm saying is true. A soul-constructing gratification. A pornographic transaction yields immediate gratification, Uh, Piper says. No one logs on just to wait. Therein lies the problem. When it comes to the nations, pornography may satisfy for a moment, but it contracts the soul, restricting its capacity to labor long in the ministry. And I agree with him. Souls being saved is never a five-minute project or or else it would be gratification to you and I as well. Do you know what it takes, ladies and gentlemen, for a soul to be saved for real? I'm not talking about this superficial salvation that comes with making a decision for Jesus. That has already proven to be an utter farce. I'm talking about the work of grace in the life of the church where preaching takes place, where prayer takes place. Where the preparation of the heart by the spirit of God to break up the follow ground takes place. Where the good seed is sown in by both the minister and the spirit of God, the true minister takes place. Where watering that seed takes place by sound teaching and prayer and communion and fellowship until boom, the spirit of God quickens that word in the soul of a man or a woman. Do you know how long that can take place? And thus the Bible talks about the servant of the Lord must be gentle and patient, bearing long with men and women under the cause of the gospel as one who is sowing seed in the field and has to wait for the harvest. That's totally different than the gratification that comes with immediately popping up on the Internet, an image that allows you to get off. We're talking two different worlds now, aren't we? Two different worlds. And then the third thing he says, it is a soul shriveling shame. Porn is drenched with shame. That's why it prefers the privacy of a bedroom over the shared space of a living room. But shame saves its darkest assaults for post-porn consumption. Just as grapes become raisins, so shame dries out the soul. It strips the soul of a concern for others and replaces it with self-absorption. That's amazing. This is why it's hard for someone confessing porn consumption to look you in the eye. That's so true. The soul is shrunk. 
The soul is shrunk. So three major things, soul shrinking desire, soul constructing gratification, and soul shriveling shame. The answer is repentance and faith and prayer. The answer is biblical leadership that follows the rules of Scripture. And to have that, we're going to have to pray. We're going to have to sow to the spirit deeply that God would raise up men and recover men and, and, and guide men and teach men and strengthen men how to be real biblical leaders in our church and in our home and therefore in the nation. Forget all this politics. That's not changing anything. And God has left the church in this world to be the steward and the pillar and ground of the truth embodied in an incarnate life where the resurrected Christ and his power by his spirit has saved us and sanctified us and set us up for this glorious task for which listen, anything we do for Christ is countercultural and counterintuitive. Just, just wrap that up. Ladies and gentlemen, get it now, get it now. It cannot be for personal gratification in the first sense, unless you are so transformed in your new nature that you love the experience of serving God. There are very few people I meet like that. Very few people I meet who have such joy in Christ that they are absolutely given to the utter delight of seeing men and women come to Christ, committed to Christ, growing in Christ and serving Christ. I meet very few men that way. I'm sorry. I'm talking pastors. I'm talking pastors. The the aggregate whole of my experience with pastors is they are cynical. Breaks my heart. Cynical because they don't see the, again, the robust presence of the spirit of God working richly deep. Now I'm talking authentically. I'm not talking playing church. I'm not talking the fabrication of emotional joy, uh, hallelujah, praise the Lord, and all that stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the sober, the sincere, the deeply humbled, grateful attitude of thankfulness to God for a real spirit of, of adoption, bringing about true freedom, freedom in the soul and a path of growth and maturity in Christ and abounding love for the glory of God and lost sinners and an affectionate, affectionate drive towards fellowship in the body of Christ so that men and women might actually see the reality of the kingdom of God and the life of the people of God as they are committed to the cause of God in Christ. So now my phone lines are nice and full, and I'm going to hurry up and run people off of them um, with regards to this matter. Let me go to line number four, and I'm going to start with Hassan in Sacramento. Hassan, are you there? Yes. What have you to say about my subject, young man? How are you doing? I'm great. All right. um, So I just want to say that, yeah, for me, you know, I'm learning um, that, you know, we got to be the pastor of our home as men. Right. Right. And so, so with the struggle when it comes to porn is that if I go ahead and engage in that, then I'm much less likely to go ahead and do a catechism with my with my wife and with my with my son. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, and I can't, I can't glean anything from the scriptures. I can't, you know, I don't even want to pick the scriptures up because. I know for a fact, you know, what just happened. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, and some of it is like, some of it can end up being like trying to be retaliation for some kind of something with my wife, which I know is a separate issue. Right. Some of it is just frustration. Um, but ultimately, like, the thing that kills me is that I know that Christ is fully committed to his church. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he doesn't, he doesn't look at any other image that would even try to, you know, evoke, try to evoke any part of his love. Right. You know what I mean? I That's do. why he chose the old, you know, the old man. Right. You know what I mean? And gave, and, and, and you know, regenerated us. Yeah. So for me, I, when I sit there and I think about the fact that my, my family takes the gospel and the fact that Christ is always faithful and he's always been faithful. Yeah. And that, that's what kind of helps me just with the day-to-day struggles with just, images or people at work saying, Hey bro, look at this real quick. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, right. Listen, I think, I thank you for that observation. I'm going to encourage you to, um, 
to 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 understand how important it is to utilize the tool of mortification in a gospel sense and in a right way. I I I I, I you know. I kind of cringe at how easy we can exercise Christian cliches in the church today, but mortification is a doctrine that also is not actually taught or employed. If it is, it's often taught the wrong way in a more legalistic sense, more ascetic sense. But there is a biblical concept of mortification that is absolutely gospel-centered and and Christocentric in its nature, by which as uh, men of God and women of God as well, we uh, dutifully and thankfully uh, exercise a no factor. This is Psalm 1. I've taught it for years. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. That is a no factor that we must have when it comes to temptation. When that temptation comes, we have to be able to say no effectually or else here's what's going on, Hassan, we're playing seesaw with our walk with God. One day we are seesawing up. The next day we're seesawing down. One day we're good. The next day we're bad. And that's not the walk that God has called us to. Yeah. Bless yeah. you, my brother. Bless you. I got to take a break. When I come back, I'll take you, G, in Oakland, and you, Vita, in Morgan Hill. And I want to hear from you that are that are very much aware of the topic that I'm talking about because we're talking about ministry here. We're not just talking about philosophizing and, and theorizing. I want to see God raise up real men in the faith. And if he's going to raise them up, they're going to have to fight the good fight of faith and lay hold of eternal life. Hassan just made the first step. You know what he did? He called it out. He called it out. He called it out. He acknowledges that he has a family and children, that he's the priest of the home, the prophet of the home, and he will not profit his family at all if he is trapped by a pattern of going into the closet and coming out of the closet and going into the closet. And it's actually even worse than that. It's actually even worse because there is a transmission of a kind of vulnerable uh, 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 paradigm that shifts from parents to children in a very imperceptible way where our children will take on our behavior patterns even if they don't see what we're doing. We can transfer those corrupt practices to them in certain ways merely because we have not understood the implications of sanctification and its impact to seal our houses. one 367 I'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com. 